Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey guys, welcome back to the Moms Talk Autism podcast. Today, we are coming at you to chat about connecting with our kiddos through play. Uh, sit back, get a cocktail or a coffee, and we will be right back. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream, a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism. Hey, hey, hey. Girls say hey. Hey, girls on film. Girls on film. Oh, we're on film right now. Hey. We are. They can't see the film. Oh, shoot. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. We are having an exceptional morning over here in uh, California, Texas, Arizona, and Washington. Just in case everybody wants to know, is everybody's volume button on full capacity? (laughs) (laughs) Gene, do you have your glass of wine at 11 o'clock in the afternoon? Oh, you mean that in the morning? In the morning. morning. Oh, that's right, morning. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, seriously, I do. It only took up, took me forty five minutes <sighs> to figure out that Deep my uh, headphones weren't working because the volume on my computer was off. It's okay. We all have our moments, and today is just <sighs> that day. Mine. Um, okay, guys, seriously, 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 we get this question quite a bit, right? Don't you think, ladies? We've had this multiple times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is a great question. It's, it is how do you connect with your child um, like through play? So I will say let's start out by telling everybody maybe quickly how we were horrible parents <laughs> in the beginning before diagnosis <laughs> and possibly forced our children to do things. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, seriously, um, I think you know, before we have our children's diagnosis, um, we kind of just do the thing that is expected, right? Oh, we get on the floor and we, and we play with our children and we, and we tell them to do this and we ask them, you know, the sounds of letters and make them repeat back stuff. And not that that is wrong, um, but it's not the best approach. And I, and I feel like once we, um, we kind of go through the diagnosis process and we see just how different each of our, our children are and, and what their needs are, then that's how we better decide and understand how we can, how we can connect with them, how we can join them, um, and do, you know, that kind of play f- for them, um, what's healthy and, and what's good for them. So 
anyways, um, each of us have uh, – similar and and very, very, very different kids with, uh, you know, different needs. So Jeannie Weenie, why don't you tell us first um, about Rory at a younger age? Um, you know, because, because when Rory got his diagnosis, he was three. Three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah. And now Rory is nine. Nine. And so w- what connecting then versus connecting now looks very different. Yeah. On on some levels, right? mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was always, I was in tune with him on a certain level in terms of like, I understood how to respond to him and kind of always, it was more of like this hyper vigilance that I had in me. And I didn't realize because I didn't understand the origin of that hyper vigilance. Um, I just felt like it was necessary. So there would be a lot of things that I would put pressure on him for to be a part of. But in order to do that, I needed to have plans A through F in tow mm-hmm. or available or accessible to me. Right. So I'm also, it was more of like, not only was I overextending him, but I was overextending myself. Um, and then once the diagnosis happened, I still found myself in a cycle of um, just because of the messaging that you receive at that age as a parent. And we've talked about this in other episodes that you, this is early intervention and you have this window of time and you feel like you're on this sprint. And so you're, you are putting a lot of pressure on your child with the new therapy. So it's almost like the scale just tipped to the other extreme on the other side. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, but obviously didn't stay there. And now I feel like we've, we come back to the middle and I feel like that was an evolution of arriving to that place. And I, a lot of my hiccups or challenges with trusting my child with other people, whether it be the therapist or it be the school or schools, right? We can just say plural because there was, there was multiple different educational environments that Rory has been in as well as different therapies is trying to illustrate and articulate your child's baseline and how it changes and ebbs and flows. So it's all about, yeah, you can press the demand sometimes, but it's learning how to scale them based on wherever your child is at that current moment. I mean, when I mean moment, I mean by like the minute, the second, like the present time, what is going on? What are the environmental factors that are affecting him at that moment? And are those individuals in tune with him enough to understand Because I think a lot of times, especially with specifically like if your child is an ABA and there's an RBT, they're just following the protocols. And those protocols, those RBTs may not know how to scale the protocols based on how you're and respond to your child the way that they need. And they're just keeping this very high level demand at that moment. And it's, it's exacerbating 
the behaviors that they're seeing instead of actually, you know, de-escalating. And the same thing goes for your educators. And and it was hard to find this balance. You had, you know, and again, that had its own scale, right? So then you would have people that instead of pressing any kind of demand on him, they weren't pressing any demands and they thought, hey, he's just, he's just fine, but he wasn't learning and growing. So for me, it's been like this come to of this loving push. That's what I call it. It's still, you always set expectations for your child wherever they are, but we as the caregivers and the more we became educated and understood our child or wherever they are, then you knew how to get them to that next kind, wherever, just moving the needle. It's not even, I wouldn't even say level because I don't look at it as like, here's the end goal and here's what you need to acquire. It's just sort of like, as long as growth is happening, usually as a parent, you find yourself, you find, and your child both find yourselves in this, in harmony, right? There's the synergy happening. And that also happens with the other arenas as well with school and with therapy. So I, there's times where I still struggle with this, right? Because we as moms, like, so even though, I mean, even though I have this deeper understanding of him, I'm still very flawed in this arena because I still have a neurotypical child. Number one, we're moms. There's the outside world that we're still acquiescing to, to certain degrees, depending on the demand of the world and, you know, how we are navigating them. And so there's times where it may not be appropriate, the demand that I'm placing on him at that moment. And so, but I'm much, I guess, I guess I'm in a space where I can recognize when it's not. I also can recognize sometimes when it's necessary. Um, It's just kind of knowing your child. It's kind of even knowing if you decide not to place a demand on your child and not at all, right? Do they recover and can you revisit it? And do they, are they going to be amenable to whatever it is that you're putting in front of them? Like what we just walked through with the dentist recently you know, yeah. So, Jean, I, I want to jump in here really quick and say it, it, it is. I mean, this can apply to a typical child as well. This could apply to Rory just as much as it can apply to McKenna mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. in your instance. That there is something to be said for literally getting to know your child and spending years with a person and really knowing how their brain works, how they process things, what they prefer, what they don't prefer, what language works with them versus, you know, certain phrases or certain um, words, just all of those things that it's all applicable. There's just an added layer of, um, of, uh, you know, lack of information on a parent's part. If you have a child who doesn't think or has developmental delays doesn't doesn't have the same kind of brain functions as you do and and there is some education we can we can read books and we can 
you know, talk to therapists and we could do all those things. But really what it comes down to is this connection piece in the end and taking all those skills and all those things that you're learning from the quote professionals or from other parents out there, whoever, and then, and then sitting down with your child and spending that time and really trying to figure out what works best for them. There is no magic formula. Right. For mm-hmm. our children. There's no, there's, if you do A, B, and C, everything's going to be peachy keen. You're going to be just fine. That's not how this works. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. You know, something to, to point out is, you know, that whole idea of, um, you know, our, if, if you have typical children out there, but your, your typical child versus your diverse child, um, you know, where <clears throat> something that was huge that I recognized was that, um, when Jack was little, he didn't have a lot of um, imaginative, you know, imaginary plane, um, which, you know, they say sometimes can be, that's, can be a sign, I guess, or whatever. Um, but it's not that he didn't have it. It's that it didn't come until later, you know, so his curve was just different. Right. Um, whereas, you know, watching, having him be my first child and then having Sloan be my second one and her being typical and kind of seeing those, you know, I don't even want to say the word, <laughs> what society views as, you know, normal, the, disparities. the, the, the typical, you know, uh, um, timeline of Looks things. like gaps. Yeah. Is that I could see, okay, there is a vast difference, but you know, about the time that Sloan was but doing the imaginary play is, is when Jack had, you know, quote unquote caught up, I guess. And, and that's when he started having it as well. So, um, it, it's interesting to have those two different dynamics, right? You can see, I mean, if you're somebody who only has diverse children or somebody who only has typical children, you don't understand that. Like you said, Brittany, we, we, it's the the world around us and what we are, um, kind of taught as parents is that is normal. Right. Um, one of the biggest things that I would say that, uh, you know, before we even had the diagnosis that the speech therapist was saying, the occupational therapist was saying, you know, was just joining them with being next to them. You know, it doesn't need to be a forced, um, you know, and we're talking, this is Jack was little. He was, you know, three years old at this point. Um, it doesn't have to be a do this, put this here. Let's play this game. It's my turn. It's your turn. Um, you know, but just being in the room next to them on the floor, allowing them to do what they are doing, but then just joining them by doing something, you know, in, in that, um, you know, in, in the area of that they're in. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, later it came where, okay, now we are learning to play maybe board games and it's that component of teaching Jack, you know, this is how we take turns. Um, but also leaving it at a level of if it's becoming overwhelming or frustrating to him, then we, we move on to something different or we allow him to, to leave the situation, you know, not forcing, um, the behaviors. Yeah. And what I wanted to even define here. So if anyone is in, in ABA now, or they're starting it and maybe there's some vernacular nomenclature that's being thrown around, they say, Oh, we need to do pairing. That's basically what it is. Mm. Pairing is that process of even what Tosh just unpacked with how, what it was like navigating, um, joining Jack, Mm. you know, it was, you needed to do what was interesting to them 
mm-hmm. before you are going to then impress any new thing outside of what their preferred interest is. You, they needed to know that you see them, that you understand at least those parts of it so they can build some trust with you. Yeah. yeah. And the hard thing about that too is that like you don't learn about that until you sign up for ABA and somebody's pairing, right? These aren't things that you learn. I have no idea what you guys are even things. talking about. <laughs> because well, because you have done, done ABA, ABA. <laughs> right? And so I think that that's, that's the hard thing is like when you have a young child who's been diagnosed, you're basically winging. I mean, I feel like as a mom, I just wing it all the time anyway with mm-hmm. both of them. But like you're winging it and you don't know any better. So Jay and I would we would go to play with Gracie the way I would have played with Maya. Like we would bring something to her and be like, Oh, look at this. Let's play this. And Gracie would have absolutely no interest in what (laughs) we wanted to play. Um, And luckily I read a book. I don't even remember what the book was that talked about joining. Mm -hmm. I had literally never even heard of joining. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had no idea what it was because I never needed to know it until Gracie. And just started just realizing that whatever Gracie is playing with, she's finding value in that in some way in this moment. And the best way to reach her and be a part of what she wants to do is to join her in those things that she is loving in the moment. Mm -hmm. So really having to put aside my wants or what I wanted to play or whatever my agenda was, you know, and being okay to just join Gracie and whatever the heck it was that Gracie was doing. Um, So I think that's just my biggest advice for those of you who have, you know, toddlers and little kiddos who are going through a diagnosis, or maybe you just, you think maybe your child is autistic, you know, and they're, yeah, they're just not relating to you the way that you would expect. That would just be my biggest piece of advice. And it's something I wish that I would have learned earlier on is just to be okay in joining whatever it is that she wants to do. Well, I feel yeah. like this should be with even typical children, right? Why are we mm-hmm. forcing yeah. this, you mm-hmm. know, what the world sees as normalcy, what we should be doing and allow, like you said, Brittany, to just to get to know a child as an individual and what their wants and their likes and their dislikes are, right? Um, right. I just found um, a very basic thing of explaining what joining is and kind of the process and it basically summarizes what we were just talking about now, which is step one assesses where and who they are getting familiar with their habits and patterns. Step two is form a common bond and connection. Step three is then, then invite them towards something new. Be that backflips or more typical childlike behavior. And then it says, what is joining? It's, um, described as a way of developing a commonality with children long before inviting them into something new. That's yeah. basically it. Before yeah. you, you have to develop that in order to then bring them along into something that you want them to do or to invite that new thing, whatever it's going to be. So I have a story about this. Um, I did not, with Austin, we immediately jumped into ABA and we did a play-based ABA and there was there was it was a combination of these things. I mean, my memories are are dim at this point of all of the ABA things over the years. It was, you know, 
14 years ago at this point when we started, but um, there was a play base to it. It was finding things that he was interested in, toys that we had or that the therapist would bring in and then have him play with those things and then have the therapist try to use that playtime and that that those opportunities to teach him a skill, whether that was language or how to share or taking turns or whatever. So that we, we did some of that, but there was, there was, that wasn't the only thing we did in ABA. And then with Ruby later on, we were contemplating doing ABA. She was diagnosed, or I think we were in the process of, and I, I don't even remember how, I think it was a regional worker who suggested a program to me, a preschool program. And it was during the summer. I believe it was, I did it for about three months with Ruby and it's called, um, it was it was done with a therapist. I went to once a week. I would go with Ruby to a play date with other parents and their children. The parents would stay the whole time with a licensed therapist who would teach us how to play with our children. And it was it was based on the Early Start Denver model um, program, which is started by Dr. Sally uh, Rogers, I believe is her last name. And I am not an expert in this at all. I've just taken this one class, and it was you know, five years ago. So I don't have all the answers. And if I misquote something, I apologize. But um, it, it it's the whole program with her. It, it, there is an ABA component to it, but it, it really truly is about, we would go into this classroom, this playroom, and there were toys, all sorts of different toys um, and stations and different things to play with. And it was kind of a free-for-all. You would literally follow your little toddler, two and three-year-old around the room whatever they gravitated towards, then you would sit down and you would try to engage with the child with that toy or that puzzle or whatever it was um, in a meaningful way. And, and you would start off with letting them lead the play, whether that was doing the puzzle upside down or, you know, maybe not in the quote typical way that you would do it um, or, you know, putting, just dumping out all of the the fake food out of the fridge and throwing it on the floor. And then they would start sorting it by color or whatever, instead of actually like pretending to make, you know, a cake or whatever. So you would, you would just meet the child where they were and you would start inserting yourself into the play. Um, and it, there's, there's various steps and, and it's a very, it can be a very slow process, right? Um, you don't, you don't go from, sorting everything by color to pretending to make a cake in one day. Like you have to build up to that, but it's about making that progress and making that connection with your child and that child feeling, allowing you not only to enter their space and enter their play, but being comfortable doing it and maybe even enjoying the experience. That's that's the goal. It almost sounds like floor time. Like if you guys have heard of the floor time approach, yeah. it sounds a lot like, and it's also showing respect too. Like correct, you're showing respect to their interest and wanting to be a part of it. And then that's right. kind of, you create buy-in, right? Where now they're kind of bought into you and now they're a little bit more willing to do what you want to do at that point. Exactly. Instead of just sitting them down at a table and saying, here's a puzzle, let's do this puzzle together. Maybe that kid doesn't like puzzles, right. doesn't, no interest in it at all. And that doesn't mean you don't ever have to do anything you don't want to do. But they're two and three years old, you know, at this age. They're they're preschoolers. So you have to beat them where they are. So, yeah, yeah, there's there's lots of different um, models and things. Floor time. I've never heard of that one, but I'm, it sounds like it's very, very similar. Yeah, this to this model. So I really gained a lot from even though I already had a child with autism and had been doing it for several years, I gained a lot of um, 
just knowledge insight and, and knowledge. just yeah <clears throat> just in, yeah insight thank you of, of of using this model and just just it it really helped me kind of get down on Ruby's level and really figure out what was best for her and I think it did help it, I don't think it necessarily like Austin would be just leaps and bounds ahead if I had done this with him as much. I, I think we all naturally kind of do that. If your kid's on the floor playing with trains, you're going to get down on the floor and make train noises and play with them too. Mm-hmm. Like you'll do it. But but yeah, it's just, um, it, it was very, very helpful experience. So um, you can, there, there's, there's websites and things um, to look at. The early start Denver model is esdm.co. If you want to look that up online and just read a little info about it, that's their official website. Um, but it's, it's something to consider um, to join that child at where they are at and then build that development right. together. Yeah. Well, and because, and then the you, point. oh, go ahead, Jean. Sorry. You pointed out something very significant here, where that your, your example illustrates something very significant here in the great debate, which is across the, all the therapeutic and educational arenas, which is what is functional play? And there's this constant force of we're trying to convert these kids into functional play with all of their things, which shouldn't be the case because it's how they see things. You have to learn how to see how they see things. Um, And so that's a great example of that of like, okay, if they want to do the puzzle upside down, we're going to do the puzzle upside down. You know, all of the, um, jokes if you see like all the memes especially when our kids are toddlers this is just all kids as as parents it's like great i have my kids all these toys but they're they they're carrying around my their favorite kitchen utensil and it's you know that's that's what it is like that's what my kids bring in today so instead of like trying to force them to give that up mm-hmm. just kind of embrace it mm-hmm. and be like this is what it is mm-hmm. you know and then after you do that, you've built, you're building trust with them and then you can introduce other things perhaps at that time. I mean, I even found very similar to that. What Shannon was saying was that, oh, I did what, you know, I did with Gracie, what I was doing with Maya, which is I kept bringing stuff to Gracie and be like, look at this, look at this. Like, Rory became so adverse to that. So even while like shopping in the toy aisle, if, if I even, if I saw his eyes drawn to something, I'm like, Oh yeah, look at that Rory. But as soon as I pointed out, look at that. He's like, no, no, thank you. Ooh, yuck. You know, it was like, Nope, just because, (laughs) just because you did that, just because you did that mom. And now, now it's not even on the table for consideration. Right. It's like, just, let me be. And if it takes me two hours to pick out a toy, because that has happened, <laughs> why we're just in target for two hours up and down the toy aisle to wait for him to pick out what he wants. Don't sit. If you think you're going to try to force something, it's not going to happen. We're past that now, but that was a season and that is relatable to this discussion and that what, you know, what, Brittany's story illustrates in terms of, again, that debate over, well, what is functional play? Yeah. And stop yeah, trying to yeah. force that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like you guys will have to tell me, do you guys feel like <laughs> you're the masters of, well, that didn't work. What's yeah. next? <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like that is the like, story of my life. Story of my life. Right. <laughs> I'm the master of that now mm. with like 
Maya, I kind of just like knew, you know, like she was just easy. Maya was just easy. And I can't tell you how many times Jay and I will look at each other and be like, well, that didn't work. Now what? What's the next try? You know? And I think it's being willing, just being willing to do as many tries mm-hmm. as it takes, yeah. you know, to that, figure out the thing that works. That was a huge thing with Jack's occupational therapist outside of school um, was just the, you know, being in the room with Jack and allowing him to do what he what it is that he was doing, but bringing, you know, let's just say a um, a game over next to him, whether it's just uh, like break the ice or um, what are the yellow and red, what's that called? Oh, connect four. Connect four. You know, and just and just sitting next to him and doing my own thing, him doing his own thing, and allowing him to be interested in what I was doing and allowing him to come to me and and playing with me. And then again, not forcing the you do it like this, you know, um, but yeah. allowing him just to investigate and 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 have the interest in okay, you know, what is this and how am I, and, and, and like you said, uh, Brittany, it might take a long time for him to, you know, want to put all of the pieces of ice in the thing and, and, you know, play the game, like I guess it's supposed to be played, but, um, that wasn't the point of it. You know, it was, it was, it was that, like you said, building that trust and, um, a natural way for him to, um, want to engage with another person, you know, um, because of course, then when yeah. they get into school, there is that social emotional aspect of it, right? Where it is that having to have some somewhat of interaction with another child, wh- however that looks, you know, whether it's you know speaking or non-speaking or whatever, but just being you know comfortable being around other kids. Um, so, yeah. and it really a, a, another point too about that. Sometimes you can't even you can't get to the point where you're playing with something together yet. Absolutely. Sometimes you even have to start with playing next to each other. Yes. It's called parallel play. And you literally just sit next to each other and you're playing connect four and Jack is playing don't break the ice. And you're just in the same physical space together. Right. And then, and then maybe it starts with you just handing them things. Right. Part of that game. That's that's all they can do. I mean, it can it can go all the way back to that. Just even just being in close proximity of to each other is is a step in the right direction. Right, and that's where you have to start. That that's meeting your child where they are and and beginning and and that's I don't know if if that's just completely overwhelming to you. Definitely do some research and then s- seek out a therapist who who's been trained properly and can help you maybe learn how to do those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it will give you the proper language and the proper um, skills. Th- they're not training the child. They're training you. Right. So you, then you can do it, you know, can play with your child in a way that, that makes sense to them. I've yeah, been more trained a- as Gracie's mom than I've ever done training in anything else in my whole life. <laughs> Correct. I mean, <laughs> that's, I mean, can I get an yeah. amen? Because that's amen. what I was going to say. If, if there was I a degree. That that's... <laughs> specifically when you've done more some of these more intense therapies, there's so much, there is a lot of parent training that goes along with that. Some of it goes by the wayside, depending on the company and they don't take it very seriously. And the parents don't understand the commitment of it. It actually can really improve the outcomes for everyone. If the parent does accept that commitment, um, because you're going to benefit so much more when in the absence of the therapist, um, we learned there was a situation 
you know, that happened with therapy and they basically across the board, Rory had to develop trust with everybody again. Um, there's this protocol called ISCA and it's double I S C A and it's called the my way protocol protocol. And it all is, it's basically not only a self at learning, like self advocacy for them, the child, but it's that you, them rebuilding trust and you're going to do things my way for a while until I'm ready to accept new things. And literally what they say to you, like your child, whether it's through an ACC device, whether through it's, it's ASL, whatever communication, or they are verbal, whatever communication method they're telling, they're saying my way, my way right now. Um, which is really challenging when it's at home, when it's still at the therapy center, it's more doable. Um, but that was a good, I mean, that was such a loud, bold way for me to really learn and understand how much, how important it is to not honor your child's trust that they have, meaning whether it's, it's the therapist, you know, cause that there's, there's lines that get crossed after people, sometimes after people have earned that trust from that child to then for the child to be agreeable, to do certain things. And some of our kids can be very, um, impressionable and easily persuaded. They don't have the discernment to know. And so you've, you, it's very easy for people to cross that line. And that's, um, very, very sad and unfortunately happens a lot. And that's why a lot of times it takes us as a parent having to mitigate all of those areas and making sure that no one is doing that to our child, especially if our child does not have the ability to protest. I mean, I remember from the time Rory was five till now, I mean, after a year and a half in of intense therapies, I told all the therapists, I don't care. I don't want my kid to be hundred percent compliant. I don't. I want to see the non-compliance. I want to see the protesting. I want to know that I can see when he doesn't want something or he's not comfortable with something. And sometimes we have to learn to respect that and deviate from that and redirect as adults in the situation instead of keep trying to force and have this expectation of utter and total compliancy. I don't, I don't want to see that um, for that reason, because I think that that's so, so important. And obviously that goes into a deeper part of the discussion, but it is that, again, it did highlight exactly that aspect of, of trust building and why it is so important and do everything you can to preserve that and don't allow anyone to, to taint that trust in your child, because that is where you'll may see regressions. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, it's creating a whole stir up in your life just because of that. Right. So it's important that they understand the trickling effects of when they make a unilateral decision to cross that line, whatever it is, whether it's they're making your child to eat something that they don't want to eat, or they're man- using a manipulative that to get compliance that maybe shouldn't be done that way, then you get to step in and say, Mm-mm, nope. Yeah. 
we're not doing that to him because here, here's the fallout of that and the ramifications of that. Mm -hmm. So I, I've lived that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you girls say, um, now, you know, versus back then our kids are older, um, uh, Brittany, you specifically, you know, Austin is 16, um, and Ruby is eight, you know, they're, they're, mm -hmm. they are different in their, their needs. Um, can you give us a, you know, example, especially with like, like Austin, you know, what it looks like now for you? Like, uh, uh to join with him. In yeah. Fact. Yes. Yeah. So Austin initiates a lot of physical connection with me uh, specifically. Uh, I'm, I'm his person and he loves to uh, snuggle and hold, hold me in a way. He's like bigger than me. Uh, and he likes to hold my head and smell my hair. He loves my hair. He loves um, to touch it into like kind of bury his little head on top of mine. And like I said, he's taller than me now. So I kind of just fit right underneath his chin. So it kind of works out well. Um, for a while, he wasn't quite as tall as me. And so he would wrench my neck down. <laughs> I'd like hunch over all the time. So I'm grateful he's taller than me now. I don't have to bend over anymore. But um, but yeah, it's a lot of that like physical connection that way with him. He enjoys... Um, Sometimes I, I will say sometimes he enjoys swimming together and connecting that way and playing. Um, he'll he'll kind of like take turns, like kind of splashing each other in the water, like how you like push water into somebody's face and splash him in the face. He'll do that sometimes. He will uh, do a little a little bit of a modified game of like tag or like chasing each other around the room a little bit, um, and he will. Um, that that's those are probably the biggest things we really every once in a while we can get him to to throw a ball back and forth or kick a ball back and forth but he's he like you know we've we've mentioned many times before austin is is definitely more on the more pronounced or, or severe side of things mm -hmm. and it's very um he prefers and has so many sen sensory issues that he prefers to really be on his own quite a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we try to respect that, but yet try to also get him to engage with us and with uh, the outside world so, as much as we, as much as he can tolerate. So like an example, you know, Austin loves to watch his movies. Um, and if he's wanting to watch a particular movie, are you able to go and sit down with him or it, he'll give you that, you know, like that clue, like mom, he'll pull you over to him to sit down on the couch with him. Or yeah. sometimes he's just, just wants to be left alone. I want to watch this by myself. I don't want you around. Absolutely. And that's where I have to read those cues and be in, in tune with him. And, and as a parent, we, we know our children better than anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, I, I can read his cues. Uh, sometimes I will initiate if he's sitting on the couch, I will sit next to him and he'll pull me in on top of him and we'll snuggle and watch a show. And then we'll be totally fine. Nothing has changed. And all of a sudden, boom, he's pushing me off of him and he's he like, is Get out of here. done. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's done with the same you. thing with like bed, bedtime. Um, we'll do a little snuggle at night sometimes. And he'll, he'll like lay on his back and he'll, you can't see, but he'll just like 
unfold his hand and like reach it towards me, like a gentleman, like offering his hand, you know, as you get into the carriage or whatever he like, and I'm like, okay. And then, you know, two minutes later, he's like shoving me out of the bed and it's, it's very, it can be very like jarring, but that's, I'm used to it. That that's what he needs right then. And, and he doesn't always get his way all the time. You know, sometimes I can't sit by you right now, or sometimes, you know, you need, you need some more deep pressure. We're going to, I'm going to do some like, some joint work with you for a minute. I'll massage his hands and his feet and do different things. And, you know, I'm going to give you two more minutes and then I'll leave, you know, that kind of thing. Or no, we really need to brush your teeth tonight. Like, so it's not always like Austin's way all the time, but, but you just have to, yeah, it's, it's, and and I want him to progress. I want him to, to continue to improve just like you would with any child or even yourself. So there is a level of like, you know, not necessarily making him uncomfortable, but pushing him to maybe a little bit outside of his comfort zone mm-hmm. and and then and knowing when to back off and and stop too. Um, so it, it's it's a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with Ruby, it's the same. Uh, hers is a lot more language based. It's about uh, social situations for her, especially with peers. Uh, I found it very, very interesting. We took Austin to a trampoline park yesterday for a little birthday celebration for him with some other teenage boys in our church who are the same age as him in his Sunday school class. It went great. Had a wonderful time. I thought for sure Ruby was going to want to come with us. She loves the trampoline park. Mm-hmm. And I was fully prepared. Doug and I were both going to go. Like, she's fine. Like, we just need to watch her, you know, super supervise her play, just like we would any typical child at a trampoline park. She doesn't need my help. Um, but I thought for sure she was going to want to do that. Um, but her little her little church group, we're going to go down to the church and decorate cookies. And it's a group of, oh, I don't know, six or seven little girls all her age. And she's, she's had some struggles going. It's been kind of overwhelming for her. The girls are really nice, but it doesn't mean that she can always, you know, mm-hmm. participate fully or really handle all of the noise and the craziness of, of so many little girls in one room. And, um, and she, I asked her two separate times and both times she's like, no, I want to go decorate cookies with the girls. And I, and she knew we were going to the trampoline park. Mm-hmm. She know, and nope, I want to go. And so I had to not only okay, you're going to go do this on your own. I'm not going to be there. But I had to get her a ride to and from because I couldn't drive her. I was going to the trampoline park. So that adds a whole nother layer of like, I'm not even going to drop you off. Like I'm taking you to a friend's house. You're going to get in their car. You're going to drive with them. She's going to take you there. And then they're going to pick drive you back home as well. And she handled all of it beautifully. Mm-hmm. And she had a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that was that was huge progress. Six months ago, that pro- that would not have happened. She would have come with us to the trampoline park um, because she would not. Not only would she not been interested, but I would have been concerned that she couldn't have taken on all of that new stimuli without, you know, my my assistance. So, um, yeah, for her connecting and joining, it, it's more on a peer level at this point. Um, and her initiating conversation about school, like coming up to me and, mom, guess what? my teacher chose me to be the line leader today. Mm -hmm. And she was so proud and she never would have initiated that kind of talk before with me even earlier this year. So we're seeing some good progress there. Um, Another thing with like board games and things like you were saying is, is getting her to play maybe the typical rules and helping her understand how to play the rules of a game appropriately. And that's not because I want her to comply and, you know, you have to play it this way. It's because that's how the other kids are learning how to play it. And so if you want to play with a peer, you need to have some kind of basic understanding about how to play that game 
you know, we could make up our own rules to any game if you want, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be able to play it with anyone else except me. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at with all of that. I don't know. Someone else's turn. What else? No, no, I was just going to say, I think her and, <laughs> and Jack are very similar, um, yeah. you know, in that um, uh, Jack definitely, you know, it's, it is on his, it's always on his terms, you know, because there's a lot of times he wants to, right. he wants to wrestle. He wants to, um, you know, play a, like Sloan and I are playing a board game. He wants to play that board game um, or, or whatever we're doing something and he wants to be in, involved, but it's, you know, um, again, just knowing, you know, listening to the, or looking and seeing and, and hearing those cues and, and just allowing him to step away if he needs to, or, you know, sometimes I go in his room and, um, he's playing with his Legos and I, um, say, you know, can I, can I sit down and play with you? And nope. <laughs> okay. Nope. <laughs> aye, aye. Respect, respect <laughs> that. Yeah. You know, or That's I'll okay. go in there and he'll be on his, whatever, watching his iPad or playing his switch or something like that. And, um, mommy, can you please leave the room? <laughs> okay, Jack. <laughs> I mean, he said, please. I know. That's what I know. <laughs> I'll take that. And you know what? I, I want to in- invite the other, another side of that kind of situation, especially when there's like other family members or friends or just other, you know, other, I guess people in their community, you know, that may be having this engagement with them, with us around. Mm-hmm. And this happened to us this past weekend while my parents were here visiting. You know, Rory does have very much that. He has his times where he wants certain people around to, at a certain time. And when he's done, he's done. Mm-hmm. And when he's done, it sounds very harsh. And my mom, for instance, can be a very highly sensitive individual. And he has a very close bond with her very close bond with her. In fact, he even walked up to her and did the whole, I'm going to hug you and smell you thing. Cause like Austin, Rory does that with me. He doesn't do it with my hair. He just does it with like my body, not my hair. Um, you know, it sounds, this just sounds terrible, but you know, that's what it is. But he did that with her. My mom was like very touched by the fact because it was like, Oh, well he really trusts her and feels safe with her and that, he feels comforted by her to, to go up and just spontaneously do that. And he knew it was my mom. It wasn't like he was doing cause he thought it was me. He had just hugged me and then he went over and did the same thing to her. But this weekend while she was like doing bedtime with him, he, she laid down and was watching the movie with him. And then he has this thing, like he expects mom or dad to be laying down with him when he's finally those final minutes or seconds of falling asleep. And he told her to get out. He's like, okay, get out. But he clearly wasn't done. He got out of the room and then went and fell asleep on the couch because he wanted to be around people. But I couldn't be with him at that time. I was dealing with McKenna. So you know, my mom obviously was offended, you know, she was trying not to be, but I had to like explain to her, like, that's just how he, you know, how he is. It's not personal. Please don't take it personal because he absolutely adores you. It has nothing to do with that. It's just what he expects with his normal routine. And this was a deviation from that. He enjoyed the company for a minimal amount of time and now he's done. Just as we all do, right? We enjoy something for a while and then we're done. Right. I mean, they don't lie. Autism doesn't lie. So there's going to be no gray area where you stand with Rory. For sure. Minute to minute. You're going to know. Yeah. 
how about you, Shani Shan? Like with Gracie, I know sometimes Gracie is like, same thing. Snuggle me, snuggle me, come to me. But then she's like, get, get back. Leave we me alone. We say Gracie, she's like a cat. We say she's like a cat. She like is cats like, always want. Want their, yeah, yeah. That's, she is a cat. Yeah. <laughs> they want what they want when they want it. And then they're like done. Like, yeah. have you ever had a cat that like loves your pets and then all of a sudden it bites you? Yeah. It's like, I'm done. Yeah. I had a cat like that once. Um, oh my gosh. Why I don't have cats anymore. No. Um, yeah. I mean, Gracie, so some of her favorite things right now, it's funny because Gracie's very physical. So Gracie loves tickles mm. and she likes to say, you know, toe tickles and then we'll tickle her toes and she'll say knee tickles and then we'll tickle her knees. And um, that's one of the best ways to join Gracie right now. Um, she also likes to snuggle in bed. Like that's one of her things. I'll go in and I'll wake her up in the morning and she'll pull me to her and she wants to snuggle in bed. Um, and Gracie's just always physical. So any type of like wrestling or swinging or anything like that. But we've also really been trying to teach Gracie lately that like, it's okay to say no. Like we've actually been teaching her go away, mommy go away, daddy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. Just little things like that where, you know, you don't have to do things you don't want to do. If you don't want mommy in your face trying to give you kisses because you just woke up in the morning, go away, mommy. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. okay, well, go away. Like, if this is not something you want, then just let us know. Trying to just teach her that, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't ever want Gracie to just go along with things for the sake of complying, right? It's like that that balance where you want the, them to comply when it's necessary or safety related, but also wanting her to have her own autonomy and say like, this is not for me right now. I don't want you to have, you know, I don't want to do this right now. Um, but Gracie just always keeps me on my toes. Mm -hmm. You guys know that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's always a new adventure mm -hmm. with Gracie. These mm -hmm. kids are, they are pretty incredible. Um, whether mm -hmm. they are you know, completely speaking or they, you know, they use an AAC device or whatever it is. They, they let us know in their own, <laughs> in their own way. And, uh, <laughs> yes, it's, it, there is no gray. <laughs> no. Um, it is, it is, we should probably wrap up here, girls. Um, but definitely, you know, what is your best advice for those people who, um, and not, you don't all have to answer this, but um, for those people who are in the early process and stages of either they're even maybe pre-diagnosis, like they're just in that realm of thinking that there's a possibility their child is on the spectrum um, and they're and they're maybe getting into figuring out how to get tested and all that, or maybe they are just in that very beginning stages. What what do you have to say to them? Um, I would say, this is Brittany, mm. um, I would say, I think the first step is to observe mm -hmm. and really spend some time throughout the day, not just in, you know, one chunk, but just observe your child and how they play and how they interact with the world at whatever level that is, any level, and how they interact with siblings or another parent or another partner um, and teachers, et cetera. And take notes if you have to, if that's if that's how you process things. I do. I take notes. Um, and then and then try and then observe how they interact with you. Um, what works, what doesn't work, and then build upon that and and 
really the key is, like I've said before, is just meet them where they're at and then build something together um, instead of forcing, no, this is the way we're going to do this. I mean, you might be able to get some results that way, but I think it's going to be a lot harder, definitely a lot more unpleasant. And I don't think it would stick. It's not going to stick and be as a permanent um, progress as it would be if you if you meet them where they're at and and help them learn how to progress right. and and grow. Right. And and I love what yeah. just to sum up really quickly what um, Shannon and and Jean both said. You know, on the compliance level and um, the, their autonomy. You know, we we want our children to be compliant for safety reasons, um, but we also want them to know that they are in charge of, um, you know, se- setting those boundaries and those lines um, and, and, and sharing with us what, what they like and dislike, you know? And, and um, so I love that. Keep that in mind out there, parents, uh, especially if you are in the new trenches of all the therapies. Here, here. Especially ABA. Here, here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, right. girls. Is it time for peak of the peak, week? Peak, peak of the week. Who's first? All right. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I already know what you're going to say. So, oh, you do? <laughs> you already know what I'm going to say? Maybe. All right, so, so uh, Rory had his first field trip yesterday. Mm. And um, so he's been dying to go on a bus. He's never been on a bus. And that kid was, that was, you know, just, you know, the, that was just the starting point of the day. He sat through the nutcracker. I wouldn't say he was quiet the entire time. <laughs> but what I love is, what I love is, is his team and his classmates fully embrace him but the row that was sitting in front of them apparently was a different class from a different school and they kept turning around saying shush and his aides were like secretly telling me you know afterwards like i will fight you he can talk if he wants to talk okay because that's what rory does yeah so he didn't there were certain things he didn't understand you know you know, but it was still cute because he was recognizing it in his own way. So when they were changing scenes every time, you know, they would exit the stage and come back out, he was saying hi again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really cute. And then he's become, and then he's become very musical. And so now he, he knows the music to the Nutcracker. So he was getting up and singing <laughs> during the performance. And then like, I don't know, he just, they, they embrace him. I have full trust in them. In fact, they probably let him get away with more being like exactly who he is than I do because he doesn't sometimes, you know, he's not walking in line with everyone else or he just needs to like wander around and they're very amenable to that and being like, it's better to do that than trying. If we want him to do X, Y, and Z, it's not worth trying to force him to stay in this line and wait because the waiting can be really, really hard. So we have to, they, you know, they, they modify the expectations, they scale them and they're totally fine with it. Like it's just, and then he was so happy on the way home. He sat on the teacher's lap. (laughs) So he just was so cute. And then he was, he wanted to see pictures of everything afterwards. And then he continued to watch Nutcracker on YouTube for the rest of the night and into this morning. I love (laughs) it. I love it. It was a very good day for him. You'll have to, you'll have to play the um, one with what's her name, Kira Knightley or whatever. 
That is my favorite. Isn't that her name? Mm. Kira Knightley? No. I haven't seen that one. You know, uh, anyways, I'll send it to you guys. Um, I'm going to go next because mine literally just happened. Uh, Mine is Shannon doing a striptease magic mic show um, for us two seconds ago. (laughs) You're welcome. There you have it. Natasha's peak of the week. (laughs) I'm glad I could be that for you. Oh, what do you this got, is why Shannon? we can't be on YouTube, you know. This is yeah, why we exactly. can't, yeah, post the videos. <laughs> True. Um, my peak of the week is Maya had winter formal last weekend. Oh, yes. And I loved every second of it, except maybe her looking gorgeous and dancing with boys. But other than that, I loved <laughs> every second of it. It was amazing. Well, you love that awesome. she looked gorgeous, but she also looked sexy. So well, maybe that was the part that bothered you. It's- it's the fact that she's old enough to look sexy now. Right. That's like yes. hard right. to, yes. you know, yep. that's hard to handle. Yes, hard to swallow. Because you know mm. what people think when right. they look And when we child, say those right? disgusting little um, high school kids. <laughs> and not even just high school kids. Like, oh, that's when true. When they're pretty. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a struggle. But she went and she mm. looked absolutely gorgeous and she had so much fun. Awesome. So. That's great. Pretty boo. What else? Um, mine mine kind of goes hand in hand with Austin's little trampoline party with uh, his his peers. Um, one of the boys, the boys, you know, they let Austin kind of do his own thing. They were jumping around and Austin was doing his thing. And every once in a while, someone would jump nearby and they just hold up their hand and Austin give them a high five and they'd continue on. And that's that worked out great. At the end, we t- took a couple quick pictures. Everyone kind of resp- you know carefully gathered around him and said happy birthday Austin we didn't sing he doesn't really like it when people sing to him he plugs his ears and looks at you like you crazy so um same and yeah i mean yeah it's fine and then uh, one of the boys brought Austin a present which was Aww. very sweet and um it was his favorite condiment it was two bottles of ketchup yes in a in a bag oh my god that's amazing and he came home and he got to eat uh, pretzels and ketchup. goldfish and dip it in his ketchup. And he had a fabulous birthday. And that's, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that that we are so blessed and we have strived and worked towards to build for Austin to have that kind of community where a, a teenage boy will bring my child ketchup for his birthday and everyone's cool with it. Yeah. I love Happy it. birthday, Austin. Yes. So I love that. Again, love it's that. learning our people. I don't care if you are um, you know, neurotypical or neurodiverse. It's knowing your your people and and catering to them. So yep. boom. All right, everybody. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. And do not forget to get on and give us a five-star review because we are so incredible. Um, and what is it that you say, Shannon? If you have any complaints, then you can email us at... I think it's kick rocks you, at mom's talk autism. You it's week to week. It's, you know. Oh, that's what I was... I was waiting for you to come up with something different. Okay. Anyways. Oh, something different. <laughs> you, put, you put me on the spot. And I Sorry. was like... Oh, and she's still getting dressed, y'all, if you can't hear her zipping her zippers and... <laughs> I'm so sorry. I thought I was muted. It's okay. I was like, oh my God. Do you have somewhere to go after this? It sounds like she has she somewhere does. to go. She's going to show houses. Not. Whoa. Um, okay, yeah, you guys. She's got a job. Um, we will see you next time. We love you. And uh, that is all. Signing off.
That's it. Thank <laughs> Bye, you. Guys. See you later. Bye. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.